Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 58, verse 2. Verse 2. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go to verse 3. We're going to go uh, verse 3 and 4, Isaiah 58. And Isaiah writes this, and, and this is really, this verse here is the summation or, or the, the, the divine catalyst, the, the prompting for this entire passage. It's a passage, it's often been referred to as God's chosen fast or true and false fasting. Some translations, you'll see that heading. It's not part of the original text, but it's addressing what does God really look for in a fast? And the reason God writes this, imparts this revelation to Isaiah, and Isaiah writes it, was because of verses 3 and 4. Listen to the question. The, the children of Israel are asking this. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have taken no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your own workers. And so he's beginning to answer their question. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. That is a sobering phrase right there. Fasting like this will not make your voice to be heard on high. Now that's a pregnant little passage. What he tells us is that not every prayer is heard. And there are certain things that you can do to cause your voice to be heard by heaven and other things you can do to cause your voice to not be heard by heaven. Or you can put it this way. There, are, there is divine protocol, there's kingdom protocol, there's royal protocol to gain an audience with the king. There are certain things you can do to keep you out keep you from that audience, and there's certain things you can do to bring you into an audience with the king. Now, I use that word very specifically. You have a meeting with the president, but you have an audience with the king. You don't have a meeting with the king. That phraseology has been used all down through English history because a king has much more authority, so you ask for an audience. The, the root word for audience is the same root for word for auditory. It means to gain a hearing, the same thing you do with a judge. If you want to take your case before a judge, if you feel there's an injustice in your life, you try to gain a hearing. You don't just waltz into a courtroom and demand that a judge listen to you. You have to secure a hearing. You have to gain a legal entrance into a court of law and it's referred to as a hearing or with the king it's called an audience. It means that you're going to get his ear and he's going to listen to you. And what Isaiah is saying right here is there are things that you and I can do to gain an audience with the king. And he also implies that there are things we can do that will close the door. Now understand, I am not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about losing your relationship with God. I'm not talking about uh, canceling out your uh, reservation in heaven. But I am talking about believers who don't see movement in prayer. People who are the people of God that pray and don't see answers. And this 
passage, uh, Isaiah deals specifically with fasting in prayer. But we see this terminology, we see this, this dilemma, if you will, in other passages. We see it in 1 Peter chapter 4 where Peter is talking to husbands and he said, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, comma, that your prayers may be heard. Now that ought to be real troubling to every husband in this room. Because what Peter is implying is that your treatment of your wife can gain you an audience with God. Or your treatment of your wife can sabotage your audience with God and your prayers literally will not be heard. That's sobering. See, we don't think like this because we're so immersed in grace and, and rightly so in one sense that it's grace that gives us a relationship with God. But you need to understand that just because you have a relationship with God, it doesn't guarantee that your prayers will be heard. Or answered. Your behavior has everything to do with the prevailing nature of your prayers. Victory in prayer is directly connected to your relational behavior. In other words, you can cancel with your behavior what you pray with your mouth. And so how you treat your fellow man... Peter talks about it in relationship to our wives. But it, it, it goes across the board, and Isaiah widens that audience, that, that group of people he's talking about. The way we treat people has everything to do with whether God will listen to your prayers or not. Now, how does that hit you? It's a very sobering thing. And I know enough to think that some people out there are thinking, I don't know, Dave, I think that sounds like legalism or works. I'm telling you, it's solid scripture. And it's both Old and New Testament. Just because you are a believer doesn't mean that God is going to listen to your prayers. We have the proof in this passage and other passages. Let's look at two other passages very quickly here. John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Well, let's go to John chapter 16, verse 24, and then we'll go back to John 15. Because it's really one long teaching that Jesus is doing with his disciples. John 16, 24, he says this, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. And then he says this, that your joy may be full. He says, if you'll ask... You will receive. And the result of answered prayer will be your joy will be full. So living in fullness of joy is, is the way the King James Version puts it. Fullness of joy. You want to have, you want to live in this environment or this state of fullness of joy? That sounds like a good deal to me. Not just a little joy, but fullness of joy. If you want to live there, the secret to living there is having your prayers answered. There's an overflow of prevailing prayer. There's an overflow of being the individual who's seeing answers and breakthroughs to your prayers that breaks you into this state of fullness of joy. Fullness of joy is the result of answered prayers. But answer prayer, answered prayers have some criteria tied to them, okay? So we see that Jesus makes this a statement. 
Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The result of answered prayers, the result of seeing breakthrough again and again to what you're contending for is fullness of joy. And some of you have been longing to see movement in some areas. I'm going to give you some keys this morning. But in order to find out how we get to the point where we can ask what we will and it shall be done, we got to go back in this same message to chapter 15, verses 10 through 12. And listen to what he says, chapter 15, 10 through 12. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now that word abide is, in the Greek is meno. It literally means to stay, to dwell, to remain in. It becomes the atmosphere that you live in. Jude addresses this in his little short book when he says, keep yourself in the love of God. It's, he's talking about the same concept uh, abiding in the love of God or keeping ourselves in the love of God. Now that begs the question, why would Jude tell us to keep ourselves in something that Paul in Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from? Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God, but Paul in Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why do I have to put forth effort to keep myself in something that Paul already told me nothing can separate me from? Which, who is right, Jude or Paul? Uh-huh. Anytime it seems like something's contradicting, there's a revelation behind that. And what Jude is telling us, Jude is saying in order for you to live in the good of that thing, in order for you to abide and enjoy the benefits of being in the love of God, God loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall, shall be saved. You can be, you can be loved by God and still be damned to hell. It's not about God's end of emanating that love towards us. It's our ability to receive and then dwell in that love. So how do we abide in that love? He's talking about psychologically living in the good of that, an awareness, living uh, with the perspective that we become like John the Beloved who was once the son of thunder and wanted to call down fire from heaven and he was a brawler. Till the end of his life, he's known as the Apostle of Love or John the Beloved. John referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Whenever he saw himself in the mirror, there he is, the one who Jesus loves. He was abiding in the love of God. The love of God had soaked into his nature, gone to the roots of his identity so that he could not see himself without seeing the love of God towards him. And so we're to abide in love. How do we do that? Here he tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If you live in disobedience, you will not be able to enjoy the love of God. Your heart will condemn you. John, 1 John says this, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. The implication is if our heart does condemn us, we don't have confidence with God. A guilty conscience will keep you out of God's presence. It'll keep you from enjoying God's love. 
You say, well, what we need to do is be root, more rooted in grace. Yeah, the grace of God that teaches you to say no to disobedience, no to ungodliness. It's not a matter of just living in forgiveness and continuing in your rebellion. That will keep you outside of God's presence. I'm not talking about someone who is struggling and repenting and, and really working on their issues. But I'm talking about this, this mentality that says, I'm just going to live my own way, live in my own rebellion, and then believe that I'm going to enjoy the grace of God and the presence of God. And I'm telling you, you are cutting at best. You are selling yourself short and keeping yourself out of an audience with God. And so he says... If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's a criteria to abiding in his love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. And here he uses that phrase again that he will use later on. We just read in chapter 16. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You can look at that two ways, that God will find pleasure, his joy will be in us, he finds pleasure in us, and then that joy is something we participate in to the point that it's full in our life. We're, we're living in the overflow of his pleasure in us, and we're receiving that pleasure, and we're living in the overflow of that. And then he, so understand, here's, here's the formula, because what is verse 12 said? This is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So the criteria for abiding in his love is to keep his commandments. Well, in the last verse, he tells us what that commandment is. What is the commandment that he's talking about? The commandment is that you would love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. And, and just as a note, that is a step beyond this thing of Love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. He didn't just put, he didn't say, I'm going to love you to the extent that I love myself. He put us first. And if we will begin to live like that, by the grace of God, learn to live like that, we can enter into that abiding in his love, in his pleasure, we bask in the sunlight of the pleasure of God which shines upon us. And it's in that transformative state that we can ask what we will and it shall be done. And the overflow is fullness of joy. So the point is this. That the criteria for this prevailing prayer, we're talking about victory in prayer. We're talking about having an audience with heaven and we ask what we will and it's done. We're, we're talking about victory and answered prayer. How does that happen? It's tied to how you treat other people. Love one another even as I have loved you, Jesus said. So we see Peter in the epistles. Peter says, gentlemen, Treat your wife right that your prayers may be heard. Because you can cancel with your treat. You can cancel the way you answer your wife in the kitchen what you prayed in the prayer room. That's sobering. Jesus deals with it in the gospels. Now, some people say, well, that was before Calvary, so that's old covenant. Don't go there. That's why I have to bring up the epistle. I'm telling you, this is a theme all through scripture. 
This isn't something isolated of the old covenant. And now we live by grace and therefore just do whatever we want and expect God to answer our prayers. We've talked about this before. But this is such a crucial subject when it comes to fasting and intercession. Fasting does not change God. It changes us. This next 21 days is not us twisting God's arm on a hunger strike. God, if you don't stop, we're going to be a bad example and we're going to die because you didn't answer our prayer and it's going to make you look bad. So, you know, and God's up there, uncle, I'll answer. That's not what fasting is. It's not a hunger strike. Fasting is God dealing deeply with our hearts. It's allowing the Lord new access, heightened access to our hearts so he can deal with us. And if we'll allow him to do that, that is the key to going higher. Let him go deeper. The key to having the answer to our prayer is aligning our life with what we're praying. And allowing the Lord to begin to do surgery in our heart. The Lord wants to change us. Because the truth is, we are intended to be the first fruits of our own prayer. We're to be the first fruit answer to our own petition. You are the beachhead of God's invasion into the circumstance for which you are praying. Let me say it again. Your life, the way you live, the way you interact with others, your personal character and personality is the beachhead of God's invasion. As as he's going to begin to move out there, he moves in here. And if he doesn't secure this ground, that will remain unchanged. It's that simple. And the way God works out our sanctification is in our relationships. It's easy to be holy when I'm alone. I am a selfless individual. I mean, I am selfless when I'm all alone in my bedroom in my old lazy boy recliner. I'm I'm not being selfish with anybody until someone makes a demand upon me. I've often told this story, but when I, when I first, when Kathy and I were going to get married, the Lord spoke to me just before I drove down to Mississippi to take her hand in marriage in my beat-up car. And uh, as, as just before that, the Lord spoke to me in prayer one day, and he said, Kathy will be the finger with which I probe your heart. I'm like, wow, that's not romantic. <laughs> Lord, that, that's, that's not what I'm getting married for. You know, that's... It's so I have someone to cook for me and serve me and just tell me how wonderful I am. But see, I, I was in full-time ministry before we got married. I worked at Teen Challenge. I lived in my little tiny room on the fourth floor of Teen Challenge. And I would give to the students 10, 12 hours a day, pour out my life to them. And then I would ascend the stairway, lock my little room, and it was me time. And when, it was about, when I was in that room, it was all about me. No one was putting any demands upon me. And then I got married. And I would give to the students 10, 12 hours a day. And I would ascend to the third floor to our little apartment. And I'd open the door, lock it. And all of a sudden, it was us time. <laughs> and at first, that was great. But it didn't take me long to realize that my wife is causing problems in my heart. It has, to be her, it has to be her because I wasn't having any anger issues when I was single. So this must be her. 
Remember, we had a, a buddy that came on staff at Teen Challenge, same time I did. He had this annoying little, it was Wade Dickerson, annoying little uh, sign on his bedroom door. It said, the foot that kicks over the barrel did not create the content of the barrel, but simply exposed it. Like, oh, I was wanting to crinkle that thing. <laughs> so relationships are the way God accesses in our heart and he changes us. And the change in me is the first fruits breakthrough, the beachhead of the invasion for God to change it out there. That's why we've talked about this before. Anytime you are really going into intercession about a given issue, Understand there are two battlegrounds. It's, you know, in warfare, they talk about the theaters of war. In World War II, there was the Pacific Theater and the European Theater. We were fighting a war on two fronts. Matter of fact, Hitler, the reason he lost World War II is he tried to take on too many theaters at once. We need to understand in the war, the battle you and I are in, there are always two fronts to this warfare. There is the internal theater and the external theater. There's the thing out there we're praying about, and there's the thing in here God is interested in. And victory here will create victory out there. And resistance in here will create failure out there. Because prayer, intercession, is always, always, always a mutual exchange of requests. You come to the Lord with your requests, and he comes to you with his and he begins to put his finger on your heart and says I want you to deal with this I've been telling Kathy lately I, this happens to me quite often Lisa our oldest daughter as most of you know she's in a wheelchair and she's pretty much dependent on us for everything she's a Lisa is a sweetheart she would be a great counselor she just she's very perceptive you walk in the room dad what's the matter what you know <laughs> How, how did you know? But she's just very perceptive and very compassionate. And she has, uh, there's a gal that comes in and bathes her in the morning. And sometimes we can hear her down there. She's, you know, she's just counseling the lady. I mean, she just, she's just like that. She's always been like that. People coming in and, but she's totally dependent on us. And there'll be times where I put her to bed and I'm tired and I'll be walking out the door. I'll get just outside her door and the Lord will say to me, and I often want to say, that's not Jesus. If you really love her, go back and ask her if she needs a drink. If you really love her, go down and see if she wants something to eat. See if she wants a little snack. She can't get up and get her own snack. And I'm like, oh. But I know the Lord's dealing with the selfishness of my heart. Don't look at me that way. Some of you are looking like... <laughs> it, that thing of, I'll put her down to bed and she'll, and she'll do this. Just as I'm walking, Dad, can I have another drink? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> go over there and give her another one. Put it down. Do you think I could have one more? <laughs> yeah. But it's that I know God is using her to deal with me. And if I resist those little promptings, matter of fact, Zechariah puts it this clear. When they called unto me, I did not listen. When they call unto me, I will not listen because when I spoke to them, they did not listen. This is a relationship here. And if we're resisting God's voice on things and then expect him to, God, God's a good father. He's not indulgent. He's not going to bless immature, selfish behavior. And so he's going to say, hey, listen, I want to bless my children, 
but I'm more interested in your character than your comfort. So let's deal with this first. Let's let's deal with this issue in your heart. Why don't you go give your daughter a drink? It was recently, Kathy went to a movie with some of the kids, and I was just home with Elisa. So I'm on the couch, pillows, big bowl of popcorn, diet soda, watching movies, and that voice came again. <laughs> and, uh, but I want to I respond to the Lord. And those are not separate issues. This has everything to do with prevailing prayer. Those things matter. So Jesus gives us the formula. Let's break it down. Here's what he says. Number one, keep his commandments. That's the prerequisite. And then he tells us what that commandment is. That command is to love one another even as he loved us. Number two, then you'll learn to abide. You'll be able to stay, remain, or dwell in his love. That's the reward. The prerequisite is obedience, responding to his voice. The reward is that you'll begin to abide in his love. You'll begin to enjoy what's emanating from his heart towards you. You don't shut yourself out. It's like the prodigal son. He was was no less loved by his father when he left home. He just couldn't enjoy it. Number three, then you can ask what you will and it'll be granted. This is a fringe benefit. It's not that we, I'm going to obey so I can twist God's arm. No, the greatest thing about God is God. The, 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 the true benefit of prayer is not the answer I receive over here, but the intimacy I develop in the process. That I get to know him. And that's, we draw near to him and he begins to speak his heart to us and we speak our heart to him. And there's a place in God where we're just hungry. God, what's on your heart? I just want to please you. Is there something you would like tonight? Is there something you would, is there someone you want to talk to? Is there something you want to do? And our heart is yearning just to hear his voice because we want to please him. And you know what? When you enter into that place, there's a reciprocal offer from heaven. What's on your heart? I remember hearing this man of God, he was, him and his wife were driving. They flew into a city to go speak at a church. And on the way, he and his wife were sitting in the back seat in this blue, this uh, gunmetal blue uh, uh, convertible Corvette, brand new Corvette pulled up and he started joking with the pastor. He said, yeah, that's what I need. I need one of those. That's exactly the color I would buy, but I would have a hard top. And they're laughing, you know, he's just joking around. The guy, he jokes around a lot. Gets to the church, he's getting ready. And all of a sudden they said, hey, Brother, come on outside real quick. Someone wants to talk to you. He's, you know, he's, man, I'm getting ready. They said, just step outside real quick. He steps outside. And there is that a brand new gunmetal blue Corvette, only it's a hard top. And the guy said, man, I've, I've really received a lot from your ministry. It really, I, I just, I just want to tell you, we so appreciate all that you teach. He said, uh, I wanted to show you my new car. I just bought it today. My wife and I were on the way to the service. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this isn't your car. You're to give it to the speaker tonight. And he said, I'm thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? I just bought a brand new car and turned the title over. At which point my wife looked over and said, you know, this isn't our car. We're supposed to give it to, and they, she said their name. So he said, I want to give you this car tonight. And he said, he said to the Lord, Lord, why? God, this is so extravagant. And the Lord, this is what the Lord spoke to his heart. Because I heard what you said on the way to the service. Isn't that amazing? That is the fruit of a heart that is postured. Lord, I just want to please you. 
And there's this mutual exchange, this thing of, God, I want to partner with you. I want to live in obedience. I want my life to be aligned with you so that I become the first fruits of the breakthrough. That the change I'm praying for out there first manifests in here. And as God begins to gain the upper hand in my character, he begins to gain the upper hand out in those circumstances. So I want to encourage you as we go into this 21 days to ask the Lord, God, what are you wanting to do in me? As I want to see breakthrough in my life, as I want to see, I want to have more of you. Understand, the, th the things we pray for out here are not the real reward of intercession, of prayer and of fasting. The real reward is that we live in his pleasure. His joy is in us. The pleasure of God is shining upon us. And we enter into that and we live in his pleasure over us as an environment. That's the real reward. The breakthrough out there is a fringe benefit. But it's the way God governs in the earth. He draws men and women unto himself. And when he finds those, he can, he can win to himself. And he begins to share his heart with them. And they share his, their heart with him. There becomes a oneness and he begins to change them. They become an expression of heaven on earth. And as it begins to manifest in them, it begins to manifest out there. God wants to do a work in us. Now, let's look real quick at this passage in Isaiah. Let's uh, look at Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. This is what God tells Isaiah. He says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Literally, it means to call from your throat. In the Hebrew, it's like this guttural cry. Get it? It literally is saying, get in their face. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, we can read that at first hearing and think, oh, man, this is not a passage I want to get into. Man, this is, this is that the sternness of God. This is that those passages that this is in an encouraging pass, passage. But the fact is, it most definitely is an encouraging passage because God is answering their heart cry. They're saying, we pray. Why, God, we're, we're praying and we're fasting. Why aren't you responding? And God said, I'm about to. This whole passage of Isaiah 58 is in response to that very question. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you the answer because I long to give you more answers, but this is the barrier. This is why your prayers are not being heard. He says, yet they seek me daily. Now understand, he's talking about, and this is God's assessment of their prayer life. This isn't their, uh, you know, blown up, over, overblown perception. We seek you daily, but they really don't. This is God saying this. Yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. He's talking of people that do seek God and they really delight to know his ways. They do. They long to understand the things of God. That's me. That's you. We seek him and we long, we delight to know his ways. But he then says, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God... They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. What he's saying is this. They ask me for judgments that they then reject when they arrive. 
They ask for me to reveal my ways, and then they refuse those ways when I reveal them to them. And it shuts down their prayers right there. Because, the, again, the first wave of prayer, the first wave of an answer is God's dealing with us personally. I remember back, it was probably about 2003, uh, I became the pastor in 2002. There was, some of you were there, you know, here at the time, and we began to cry out to God for a move of God. And I don't remember what the message was about, because frankly, I don't think it had anything to do with the message. Uh, but there was this, this time we hit, and it was on a Sunday morning, and there was just this repentance that began to, to settle into the congregation. And it was strange to me, because I began to get phone calls for the next few weeks, people wanting to meet with me and just confess sin. And sometimes people would come to me, and they would want to confess things that they did in high school. These are people in their 40s. And they said, Pastor, I, I don't know why, I just feel like I need to confess this. I did this while I was in high school. And I just told them, thanks for sharing it, let's pray. It wasn't about me counseling them, it was them cleansing their heart. There was a deep repentance to the point where they're just, they were wanting to get things off their chest. They were, God was dealing with us in a deep way, and there was just this, this repentance that began to happen in our midst. And then God began to move in power. God began to move by his spirit. But the first wave of that visitation was repentance. God dealing with our hearts. Malachi, the passage that Pastor John just talked about a few moments ago, what he alluded to, Malachi chapter 3. It's the same scenario. He says, he says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And then he asked the question. It says, the Lord whom you're asking, you're seeking, you're crying out, come, come, come. And he said, I'm going to. But then he asked the question, who can endure the day of his coming? Because he comes like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. The, the front end of any visitation is repentance. And we never outgrow that. Because there are always fresh things that God's going after. Nobody has ever arrived. There's always new things. Now, rebellion is when we're resisting what he's already shown us. But if you're not resisting what he's already shown you, don't buy into the delusion that there's nothing else for him to show you in the future. It's just that he hasn't shown, us to, shown it to us yet. And God goes deeper. It's like an onion. One layer at a time and a lot of tears. He's sanctifying us. He's, he's, he's changing us, and we become a greater expression of his character to humanity. And so, Isaiah says, oh, we've got to land it. Isaiah says, they seek me, they delight to my, know my ways, as if they're, they're living as if they're obedient, they're seeking, but they're not obedient. It takes more than hunger, it takes more than delighting in God's ways, it takes applying them, becoming obedient, responding to what he tells us, and that's where change begins to happen. You, your life, your behavior, your relationships are the first fruit of change that you're crying out for. And then he asked this, verse 3 and 4. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fasting, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. 
He's saying that the purpose of fasting and prayer is not for us to indulge ourselves. It's not about us, it's about him. And as we are selflessly dealing with us and we're treating people right, then we begin to gain the upper hand in intercession. He says, and that's what's going to gain you an audience with the king, a hearing with the judge of all the earth. That's when you'll begin to see movement. He goes on in this passage, he talks about uh, you know, them treating their, their servants, their employees terribly. And he, then he says this in verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your home? He's talking about some intrusive stuff here. When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That is a fascinating phrase to me. Your righteousness will literally go before you. It's like the righteousness that's breaking forth, the fresh breakthrough in your life begins to make a breakthrough before you. It's, pre- it's opening up the way before you and the, the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. He talks about healing beginning to break loose. All these things. And it's all tied into, in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's teaching here, it's all tied into how we treat others. So it's really this simple. Your power in prayer, the effectiveness of your prayer life is intimately tied to how you treat people. And God is looking for you to love people like he loved you. As we put people before ourselves. And it's an opportunity for us to go deeper and, and a sacrifice unto him. There are times, I, I know, I, I should be more holy. I should love my daughter enough to get off my duff and walk down the two flights of stairs to go say, hey, do you need anything? But sometimes I don't think of that. And I feel like the Lord is saying, hey, go down and ask Lisa if she needs anything. And I know in that moment, it's like an offering to the Lord. Now I know, okay, pastor, you should love your daughter enough. I know. But I'm telling you, I can give that to the Lord. There are times where I can, I can love people that are irritating as an offering to the Lord. And, and knowing, God, I'm, I'm dealing with this in this way because I'm dealing with you in this way. Lord, my heart is yielded to you. I want to express your love to these people. And when we enter into that kind of exchange, when we have that kind of awareness, it creates a power in prayer. Because we're responding to him. That's the message of Isaiah. He's talking about the two great commands, loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor as herself. There's the thing of responding to God, but there's also the thing of responding to people. It's righteousness, our relationship with God, but justice, our relationship with people. 
Justice, righteousness and justice are very closely associated in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, often there, there's a, a lack of clarity on which word they should use. In the Hebrew, it's much more clear. But in the Greek, there's times where one translator will translate it justice, one time they'll translate it right, another one will translate it righteousness. Matter of fact, there's one, I forget which translation translates Matthew 6, 33, uh, you know, uh, seek the, uh, love the Lord, seek him and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, it translates it and his justice. They're very closely associated. Here's the difference. Justice always includes another person. Righteousness has to do with my thoughts, behavior, attitudes. It's me being in right standing with God. It's me keeping my heart right with him. It's me doing the right thing and therefore I'm righteous. It's that, that righteousness becoming a part of my, my character. You see, it's not just this legal imputation is the way theologians, not I'm legally righteous because I've been declared righteous, but I continue to behave unrighteously. It's given as a gift, a legal, the legal paperwork in heaven is imposed upon me. You are righteous. But then the rest of my life is me walking this thing out in sanctification. I'm going from glory to glory. God's working it in me, so I behave righteously. Where justice comes in, is I act righteously towards you. Justice is defending the defenseless. It's taking care of the needs of others. It's, it's that sense of equity. And equity is not the same as equality. They're associated. But it's that thing of we're guarding the, the defenseless. There's this sense of justice. And that is all over the word of God. That is so close to the heart of God. Matter of fact, there's a verse that says God's throne is built upon justice and righteousness. And so we Pentecostals, we, we're often known as mystics, those who are really into the, the, the personal relationship with Jesus and experiences in the Holy Spirit. And I believe in all that stuff. Hang around long enough and you'll become convinced. I believe in all that stuff. But we must not ignore the justice component, and that is caring for others, clothing, and feeding those who need food and clothing, not shutting up our heart towards them, and having a closed heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want, to put our, I want us just to put our hands up before the Lord. I want us to do this as a formal thing. I want us to, as a church, we are positioning ourselves before God this morning. And we're inviting him to begin a deeper work in us over this next 21 days. Now be careful what you ask for. But I want to encourage you to ask. But be careful what you ask for. Jesus said, come follow me. And then he said, wait, count the cost. But he still tells us, follow him. And God will take you up on this. 
There are some of you who have been longing to see breakthrough. And God wants your righteousness to spring forth like the morning sun. And the breakthrough is going to first happen in you. God's going to begin to deal with you. And there's little promptings you're going to feel that there's things I need to do with those around me. Some of you, it's going to be that irritating person you work with. And God's going to call you to be extra kind. Go out of your way to be Jesus to them. Some of you, it's your spouse. Don't bump them. Some of you, it's your children. Some of you, it's your neighbor. But God wants to begin to deal with you in the context of your relationships. So let's just present ourselves before the Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Now, if you feel the weight of that, but I sure do. I feel like the Lord wants to remind us of the mandate on this house. One of the words we've received again and again and again, and if you're connected to this house, this mandate is on you because you're part of the family. We are a governmental house of prayer. That doesn't merely mean that we pray about governmental or political matters or national matters. That is definitely included. What it means is that God wants to govern the earth through our prayers. He wants to shape history through our fasting. But in order for us to fulfill the mandate, we've got to enter into this process. And so, Lord, we stand before you with fear and trembling. And, Lord, we ask that you would deal with our hearts, Lord. God, we ask for grace over this next 21 days. Lord, as we move into it, Lord, I ask that you would just release fresh grace, desire and ability to cooperate with you. Lord, to qualify that for that, Lord, we go low. We humble ourselves before your, your mighty hand. And now, Lord, deal with us. Reveal to us, Lord, the things that you want to adjust. Lord, if we're going to go without food... We want it to mean something. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.